Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Well, guys, we got a special guest with us today. We have Dan Joseph with us. Who is Dan Joseph? Well, Dan is a military veteran who served as a combat engineer while working on a master's in psychology. In addition, Mr. Joseph is an author to the book, Backpack to Rucksack, and currently a graduate student obtaining his second master's. With that said, let's introduce to you, Dan Joseph. Dan, how are you doing today? Doing great, thank you for that intro. I appreciate it, Cleone, nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Nice yeah. to see you too. Definitely. So dad, tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. How did you get started in the military? Um, just, just break it down. So yeah, I uh, actually joined at 32 years old. Um, most people join younger, right? In their 18, 20s, right? So I joined um, after owning my own business, after working in the biotech sector, and I realized that a lot based on, uh, we can get into this, but based on my own kind of um, deficits in life and my ego development and who I was, the strengths that I wanted to have psychologically, there was sort of a primal drive that was missing in my life. And I felt drawn to the people that I met in the military because the life that they lived was so you know, there's just this primal energy to it, right? They were willing to lay down their lives. They were, um they were living in the field and in tough austere conditions and i was such a creature of comfort that i decided after a while um when i was 32 to finally ship out and join some of the the best people i met the best friends i have were 18 at the time that i met them so there were very wise very seasoned people in the military at even a young age so age was really not a factor at all mm -hmm. um and after working alongside many combat veterans I, I was never combat deployed i was in a non-deployable unit but a lot of the folks i served with the men and women have served overseas in um uh oh i'm actually getting a military police vehicle pulling up but i don't know if he needs to speak with me or what anyway i'm actually on a military base right now as i'm streaming this from my car um so a lot of the combat veterans i served with had told me about so much of the weight that they carried from being deployed right so they experienced um trauma on either a large scale from seeing people die from they themselves almost losing their lives or i would say sort of like micro traumas right just the distance from home the uncertainty of being deployed and what was so cool is i learned from them about resilience i learned from them about mental health and what they did to grow themselves past so much suffering that they had in their life and writing my book was my way of kind of giving a shout out to them, um, to, to thank the people that mentored me 
on how to grow myself, right? How to get out of my own head. And uh, yeah, I can blab on for days about this. Cool. Thank you so very much for that introduction. I really appreciate it. So we're going to go move into the mental health piece of the, of the interview. So we're going to ask you the first, my first question for you is, what is your mental health diagnosis and when were you diagnosed? So for me in particular, I had suffered some childhood trauma. And so I, back in 2000, oh, when was it? Um, geez, this was about six, seven years ago. I met with a therapist and we talked about actually what was happening to me in jujitsu. So I was having flashbacks in jujitsu. I did not know what it was, but uh, my body would freeze. It was a complete shutdown. And mm -hmm. what had happened is I had seen a, a lot of sort of heavy thoughts came, came in on me in my mind, just constantly the hypervigilance, the situational awareness, the anxiety in my chest and the, the, my breath was off. Just everything felt um, so weighty and I was getting nervous. I was kind of scared about where my thoughts were going and how isolated I felt. So I went and saw a therapist and we did talk about how, what happened in jujitsu was that on the mats, I started re-experiencing some sort of trauma that happened in life. Mm -hmm. And through multiple sessions, we found out it was from stuff that happened in childhood. So that, I guess that's a form of CPTS, really. Um, and so what's intriguing about this, though, is as I grew through it and learned to manage it and speak about it and have a language, right? The psychological toolkit that we all get from counseling and from therapy and from, you know, recovery and all of that. Mm -hmm. I was able to have a language for my experiences of anxiety, of panic, of fear, all of that stuff from, from such a young age. And it completely resonated. The, the physiological symptoms of what I had completely resonated with folks who've been to war and came back from deployment. And that blew my mind because mm -hmm. I was speaking with combat veterans that said, hey, wait a minute. Everything you just described about being on the mats and jujitsu, I've experienced. And there's a moment where me and a buddy of mine were just like tearing up because he started tearing up as he heard me talk and he felt so validated saying, hey, you know, you just explained what keeps me up at night when I have these nightmares, when I have, when I hear the, you know, I hear the, the yells of, of people that I've seen hurt in war, right? Um, and I, then I teared up and we just had this deep uh, friendship from that. So it was really cool to see how you can take a weakness or take something that ails you, right? And turn it into your greatest strength just by connecting people and being vulnerable. Yes, definitely, definitely. Wow. So uh, my next question for you is, tell us your mental health story of resilience. What did you have to go through? Uh, um, yeah, break it down for us. And so, how'd you get to, how'd you get to, to where you are now? Jiu-Jitsu helped uh, a lot. Jiu-Jitsu started me on this journey. Um, joining the military was actually a form of exposure therapy, believe it or not, uh, to go through some things that made me very uncomfortable in life. I had to go dive into it again, but in my adult self, grounded in my body. Um, so I stayed going to jujitsu. I, I had the option of quitting, right? Quit and walk away and don't experience uh, those uncomfortable feelings. But I said, no way, because this is my brotherhood. These were my this was my family, you know, I was being mentored by these amazing people on the mats. Um, and they were coaching me 
intimately. I mean, this is a, a that's a primal bond when you're trusting your life in the hands of someone else, right? Um, and it was cool. I was getting pummeled. I was getting choked out. I was getting submitted, and I had to check my ego. I had to feel not like a loser on the mats, right? I had to go in there knowing that even even surviving that much longer in a match, just a couple seconds longer before I tap out is strength. Strength doesn't always look super strong. It can look, it can be very subtle, but internally, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm able to handle a lot more than I could. And I would inch myself further and further down this path of growth um, on the mats. And it really rectified a lot of ego issues that I had off of the mats. So I'd leave the gym, right? And because in jujitsu, you learn to control your breath, to not panic. You got to ease your flight, your fight flight response. um, And you have to get into your higher brain, your prefrontal cortex. So that's kind of what I started training on the mats. Then say I I have an altercation with someone in the world or an argument, or I'm upset about something. I just take a breath and calm myself down, stay in my prefrontal cortex, right? Like it's, it's just bad traffic or somebody else is having a bad day. It doesn't say anything about me. It says something about what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And I learned all this stuff because I was acting it out in jujitsu. You know, we were very much, it's tangible in jujitsu. And so I took these psychological lessons from the mats, started applying it to my life. Um, and then in the military as well. So let's say we're, you know, we're doing a, a convoy movement, which means a bunch of different vehicles, like in a caravan through the desert, right? Cause I was on a desert base. And the terrain can get very sketchy fast. I mean, it can get dangerous, right? There can be a wadi or a cliff or erosion where a vehicle can roll over and that can lead to fatalities quickly. And in those moments, everybody's on edge, right? It's 125 degrees. Everyone's hot and sweaty and tired and miserable. And we're trying to get to a a very, you know, pretty long distance move very slowly. So we don't damage the vehicles or, or hurt anybody. And in those moments, I had to, again, take a deep breath when everyone else, we're all getting upset. I mean, I'm human too. So my emotions are through the roof. Right. But then I, again, I have to calm my nervous system down. Remember what I learned on the mats. What does anxiety feel like? What does anger feel like? What does fear feel like in my body? And Mm -hmm. I'm able to do a body scan and understand, Hey, that's, it's normal. It's a healthy fear response, but it's a little too much right now. So let me take a breath focus, make sure everyone's safe, and then do a logical movement forward. Um, And that way, I didn't feed into anybody else's angst. Because that's kind of how I was younger in life, right? Always fighting or always wanting to just miserable inside my compass was off my, my mind just couldn't make heads or tails. I didn't know what was a threat and what wasn't a threat. So Mm -hmm. everything was a threat to me. I was always on this fight mode. Um, which was ironic because when it came to a fight, then I would freeze. So that's interesting because I I didn't have a fight response. I would pretend I did, but in reality, I would freeze. I'd lock up because of the trauma from a younger age. Mm -hmm. Um, But all this to say, I'm not where I need to be yet. I'm still growing. Uh, Writing this book, I don't want it to look like I have the answers. I just want to have a discussion about this, about mental health, about what's going on in the world, especially in the military, because um, what, like one of my soldiers, he wrote the, the, the uh, introduction to this book. Um, his name's Cody. He survived his suicide attempt in the army. Um, and he's out now and he's healthy. He's alive. My other friend had 13 guys from his unit since Afghanistan 
kill themselves. 13. I mean, that's, it's unimaginable, you know? Um, a lot of us don't know a double digit number of people who've died in our entire life, let alone mm-hmm. from suicide. Mm-hmm. And so I realized the importance of mental health, about being open, about my weirdness, my crazy, my insecurities, my fear, because I can give hope to these others who are struggling. Like, hey, if I'm on the journey working through this, then you shouldn't feel alone. You're not isolated. I'm not judging you. There's no shame in this. Um, Stay alive, stay healthy, stay well. And when things suck in life, it's okay for them to suck. Not everything's gonna be great all the time, right? Especially in the military, things are, they're meant to suck. It's meant to get miserable and difficult because that's how war is. So they want us to have that resiliency, right? But what I tell them, and I'm sorry I'm rambling so much, but as we build resilience, we have to balance that out with self-care. Because you look at your vehicle, we get oil changes, right? And we maintain all our vehicles in the military. We maintain our weapons. Um, We try to keep our vehicles going all the time. But why not also maintain our brains? Right. right, our emotions, because we're biological organisms with neurocir- neurocircuitry. There's hard wiring, there's electrical physiology to our brains, to our nervous system. And we need to tend to that. As we beat ourselves down in training, we have to build ourselves back up to sustain that. And that is the definition of resilience, I believe. And so that's my passion. And clearly I can talk for days, so I'll shut up now so you can speak. Oh wow, that's wonderful! Like, I I like the word what you had to say that um, you know, we just have to try and stay alive and try to um. Thirteen people—that's a lot of people. That's, I you know, and he could have been so. There's twelve that died that died by suicide before, while I was writing my book. Mm-hmm. After I published it, he called me and said. Hey, brother, just wanted to let you know that it's 13 now. And you know what? He could have also been another one of those numbers. Um, his name's Austin, and I still check in on him. You know, I love him like a brother, right? And for the rest of my life, I'll be checking in on him, on Cody, on several other soldiers I met because they were willing to risk their lives for our country. And hmm. politics aside, I mean, the troops are out there. The men and women are out there. They're, they don't have an agenda. What they care about is coming back alive and making sure those next to them are safe and coming back alive as well. Right. And, and so that just, it motivates me. It, it compels me to do what I can for them, you know? And I'll tell you what, sharing my, my anxiety symptoms to that buddy of mine who told me that there's stuff he wanted to share with me mm-hmm. that he experienced in war, he's never told a therapist. He's never told his wife. He's never told anyone. But because I was willing to share with him what I've gone through in my own journey, right? He said, I want to share with you some stuff that I've seen in war. I've never told another soul this kind of, you know, this, there's so much weight to that. And that's, I'm blown away that he would trust me. And so I, I want to help, you know, uh, I, I want to help other people like him feel that weight drop off of their back, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why I started the show is because I wanted an opportunity to for people to share their truths with people so that other people can be inspired that they can that they too can live 
despite yeah. their illnesses. Yeah, totally. You know, you know what I mean? And yeah. um, that that there's a way out. There's another way. That there's solutions. That there's ways that you can actually yeah. you can actually live despite the illnesses. You don't have to be right. stuck. You don't have to commit suicide. Right. Suicide it's a permanent. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. That's what we would exactly. tell soldiers. Right. Don't go with the permanent solution because your your problems are temporary. And I'll tell you this, I like sharing this. There's this, there's been studies on functional MRIs on the brain. And mm -hmm. again, the brain is hardwired. There's neurocircuitry to the brain, right? There, there's a study that shows that blood doesn't flow to the anterior cingulate when people are massively depressed. Uh, the anterior cingulate helps you understand time. And so when you don't have a sense of time because blood isn't flowing to that area of the brain, mm -hmm. a person will be more prone to suicidality because they believe that whatever they're experiencing is forever, it's indefinite. They don't understand that, oh, this is going to pass because viscerally in their body, they don't feel time anymore. It feels permanent. So that's when suicide seems like it makes sense to them. Yeah. But what you have to do is just remember like, you'll, you have to get them to ground back into their body. And uh, Dr. James, uh, or uh, Dr. Vanderkolk, who wrote um, The Body Keeps the Score, he writes about this, getting people back into their body, they regain a sense of time, and then they're able to then move sort of through the emotions. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. Wow, that, that makes a lot of sense because I know I've also struggled with suicide um, in, in my past. And um, yeah, like it was, it just seemed like, like that was the only solution when I was going through my period of, um, you know, suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, we'll go to the. Yeah, I'm sorry you went through that, but I. Uh... I'm glad you're alive. Yeah. As somebody who almost lost one of my soldiers, I told him, I said, I'm glad you're alive, man. I'm thank you for not going through with it. Um, because I looked at him and I realized I could have gone to his funeral. Like I was standing in front of my soldier, but in my mind I thought, Oh my goodness, I could be standing in front of his coffin right now. Right. Right. Um, and I'll never forget that feeling because he's sitting there look and I remember him telling me, right? And I was looking at his face and just I wanted to hug him and say, and you know, I gave him a hug, but I, I wanted to tell him like, dude, like you're worth it. You're worth being here. It would suck yeah. if you were dead. It would suck if you took yourself out of our lives because ultimately we can't stop people from hurting themselves, from killing themselves. You know, we can't force them to stay alive, but we can encourage them to see the value in wanting to, to live longer and live a full life. Yeah. And, um, because I remember that feeling of like, how do we stop this? How do we get people? You, you can't just shake them and wake them up out of what they're going through because they're going through something like you were going through something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just thank goodness that you found your way out. You know, you found, um, because I don't fault, you know, I was talking to my buddy Austin about those 13 service members who killed themselves. Right. And I asked him, like, how do you, how do you even process that? And he said, you know, I, he said, it keeps me up at night, but I wonder, I, he says, I guess they had their reasons, but I don't know what those reasons are, but I mean, why else would they have done it? 13 of them? I mean, these are people 
who had reasons to kill themselves. It's not the, you know, in our minds, we're saying no reason is good enough. There's no reason that you should ever take yourself out of this world. But the reality is a, a mental health struggle is so deeply private. It's so deep inside somebody's soul, inside of their conscience that um, there's no easy solution to fix it other than let's have conversations. Let's, let's discuss this, you know, don't stigmatize it. Um, and let's walk alongside each other, especially for those who've tasted it, who've been that close. Yes. And that's why I asked these two gentlemen to write the introductory, introductory part of my book. Because mm -hmm. they, they, to me are the most important voice of my book, the ones who've been there right at that edge and they're yeah. alive right now. And you're one of those people too. And so, um, I just, for anybody struggling who feels alone, that's human. You're, you're a human being. Don't fault yourself for being human, but you know, please seek help. Please find somebody you trust because being isolated and being alone, that's, that's the killer right there. You know? Definitely, definitely, definitely. So my next question to you is what did you have to do to overcome or bounce back from your low points? List all the resources. Wow. Uh, okay. All of them, huh? I had, it started off with um, some men that I knew in a church group of mine who took all the shame out of therapy and out of counseling. Yeah. So it was a social support group. Um, they introduced me to a counselor who helped me get back into my, my feelings that I, and I hadn't felt a feeling in decades. I was numbed out on alcohol, partying. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember I was like, what's a feeling? Like, what do you mean? I, I feel stuff. And he said, no, you, you can describe what you're feeling, but you're not actually feeling it. And I'll tell you what, when I started feeling my emotions, I never cried that much in my life. And I had to grieve. There was a process where I had to grieve relationships I never had, um, the life that I never had in, in earlier years in my life, um, certain betrayals, certain pain that I just... Oof, even now talking to you, I have to take a breath because it's, it's heavy stuff, you know, and I, I buried it. I mean, who wouldn't bury it? Anybody would. Yes. And, um, you know, my therapist told me, he said, you got to thank your addictions because they kept you alive. He said, now it's time to get rid of them. Now it's time to move past them. But you were medicating for a reason. And uh, that's a deep thing to talk about. But um, also, uh, I, I dove into book reading. <laughs> so not everyone's going to do this, but I read um, over like, three to 400 books now, um, majority uh -huh. of which were on psychology. So way before I got my master's, I was just drinking this up because it made sense. All the chaos in my life started making sense. When mm -hmm. I started understanding interpersonal dynamics, family of origin issues, attachment and uh, attachment like uh, modalities and what's the other one? Conflict styles, right? Um, oh my goodness, there's so much role playing, um, basically meaning we, we play roles in our family dynamics. Mm -hmm. We play roles in society, like whether we're the scapegoat or the golden child or the perfect one or the black sheep or whatever it is, we have these roles that they're not authentic. It's roles that somebody else gave us to play. And I realized how inauthentic I was being and how inauthentic many people are being in life. Um, and then I delved, I delved into meditation as well, which 
got me a little too deep into my feelings. And that's when I started having actual like panic attacks um, because I wasn't let ready to allow that much trauma back up. So that's something to be cognizant of. Um, so that's why it's nice to have a therapist to talk to uh, yes. when you go through that. And then um, podcasts, YouTube videos, I'm talking hours and hours um, from like self-affirming mantras that are on YouTube, um, motivational videos to clinical psychology videos, right? Professors talking about trauma, neurophysiology. And lastly, I'll say this, uh, working on my master's degree was my way of then becoming more intimate with that material, like a voice in that world. Because now I wrote a book. I was able to, in my book, cite and reference peer-reviewed journal citations, uh, journal publications. So I can actually add scientific context to what emotions are. And so, yeah, this is all part, parts of the journey of, of recovering through this. Wow, amazing, amazing. My next question for you is, what are three things you wish you had available when you were at your lowest point? Um, stronger social support, for sure. I mean, people that I could bear it all to, you know, mm -hmm. not just superficial, but I'm talking the rawest feelings mm -hmm. and the most almost like shameful parts of myself to just lay it out there for them to see it and then say, that doesn't scare me. I still love you. I still, I'm still going to be here with you. I, I wanted that. That's like the number one thing. Um, and then let's see what else would I have wanted in that lowest point, man, just more resources yeah. um, that are more resources that are ex not, not only accessible, but that meet me where I'm at because I wasn't conscious. I wasn't aware of trauma. I wasn't aware of my passive aggression and what I was repressing. So I guess maybe more artful content, maybe even like music about it. I'm hearing more musicians add little nuances of therapy and psychology in their songs. Cause I notice I'm like that hit different, that lyric, it, he just said something or she just said something that's like, whether it's about sobriety or whether it's about anxiety or stress or whatever it is where I'm like, Hey, that I'm vibing with that because there's a message in there and then I'll read the lyrics and then it opens me up to a deeper discussion on that. And then the third thing I would say that I wish I had in those low points, um, I would say probably journaling as well, a way of self-reflection um, that would have really helped me stop from numbing out and medicating, self-medicating myself and, and escaping and dissociating. So that's all, those are three things, but I could, I could list a million. Cool, cool, thank you. My next question is, so what words of hope can you give to our listeners? What would you tell them? I would say you're, you're worth it. Uh, I'm stealing that from a buddy of mine, JP Lane. He was um, blown up by an IED and he lost two of his legs. And when people say, thank you for your service, you know, they're devastated that they saw what happened to his body. They're just like, oh my gosh, you know, half of you is, is not there. Right. And he, he has this great sense of humor about all this, but he'll look at them when they, when they look, you know, down in his prosthetics and, He'll say, uh, you're worth it. You're worth it. And so that's, I, I told him, I said, bro, I got to steal that because that brought life into, into my soul when he said that. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's a gift we should give others to say, you're worth it. And just like I, I told my soldier, you know, when he told me he survived suicide, um, he's worth it. He's worth 
getting yeah. help and getting um, doctors that'll listen to him, getting the right medication or the right therapy, whatever it is, pursue that. And if guess what, it's going to be a lifelong pursuit. Um, but you are worth it because the healthier you are as an individual, the healthier the world's going to become because you're going to be a better partner, whether it's, you know, you're going to be a better roommate, a better coworker, a better friend, um, because you're healthier. Mm -hmm. And that's the amazing thing about leadership too. Whether you own a business or you're in the military, your unit is, especially the higher up you become as a leader, the level of health and stability that you have is the level that your unit will rise to. But if you're the bottleneck, if you're toxic and unhealthy and whatever it is, that's a limiting ceiling on everyone else's growth. So you want to be somebody who enriches your own life almost selfishly because it'll feel selfish at first, but then you realize everybody else is benefiting from this because you're going to want to give that gift to other people. You're going to want to share that or you're going to want to treat others with dignity and respect and in a motivational way that it's going to inspire people. Like you can't not inspire people as you grow. So my message to anybody hurting right now and who feels ashamed and who feels trapped and isolated, start with you're worth it and go from there and see what happens. That's good. I love that. I love that. All right. So we are going to take a switch in the interview a little bit. As you can see behind me, there is a book that says the music of my life. Um, so that's about music therapy and my journey with bipolar disorder. So with that said, I'd like to ask you a question. What type of music do you like? So I love all types of music, but I jam out on the acoustic guitar. So I'll take music and, and make it acoustic. So whether it's an EDM song or rap or country or whatever genre it is, um, I'll strip it down to an acoustic level and just really I, I like to focus on the vocals um i'm more of a vocalist than a musician on the guitar i can barely play the guitar but i like to to pull the emotions out of those songs and when i cover them and sing them and so music has been a big part of my therapy i'm currently writing some music right now um and it's it's cathartic for me and it's really cool because when you make something acoustic people will come up to you while you play and say like, hey did you write that um, and the reason why is because you sing it in a, with your voice and not all these instruments that cover it up and they feel your soul come out. If you sing it, not like a karaoke, not like, I mean, we're talking like get raw with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do is take these lyrics that other artists have made that really inspire me and just bleed the same way they bled. If that makes sense. When I sing it, just make it where I feel that, that whatever's in my gut come out and I, I cleanse myself of it. And then I'll find the next song and the next song. Um, and so what I love doing is grabbing my guitar, finding wherever is a good spot where there's sunset, not too many people because I, I want to get loud with it. Um, cause I had a music coach and she taught me that she said, you can't apologize about your voice get loud because if you if you sing quiet you're never going to let your vocal cords extend to where they need to hit that that note that you're trying to hit and so i'll find a place where there's a, a sunset by the beach and i can just get the feelings out and it's cool because people 
will stop by and take videos and come up and say, hey, thank you for playing that or thank you for, for jamming out. And you can see that they feel validated by that. They Something in them was touched. And that's that's where music is just, it's a universal language. Um, so yeah, I can, I'm way more passionate about music than I am about book writing. So yeah. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. So if you were to think of a song that best describes your journey, what would it be and why? <laughs> um, so Stuck in a Moment by U2. Oh. Uh, I love that song because it's, 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 he, Bono says, you got to get yourself out of it. And that lyric really resonates because how many times do have I wanted to play the victim, right? Like, oh, things suck. Things are tough. Life is hard. But I have to get myself out of that moment. I got myself self stuck in those negative thoughts. Like I'm not responsible for things that happened in life that other people have done. However, I'm responsible with my attitude and what I do with myself now. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I hear that song come on, it's on my playlist. And it's almost bringing levity to heavy situations. Like, yeah, you feel like things are horrible right now. You got yourself in a situation, you're stuck in a moment, get yourself out of it, right? And you can take that ownership and you can have that volition inside of your, your chest, inside of your heart to then step up and, and lovingly, not forcefully, not with, you know, resentment, but just with gratitude and with a sense of, hey, I, this is just a moment. You know, it's transient. It's going to pass. And I have the strength to get out of it. So that's, that's a really cool song. Cool, cool. Would you like to sing a little bit of it since you are a <laughs> I was about to. I was about to. I would Can't love you to hear you sing. Out of it? Yeah, I don't even, right now on the spot, oh boy. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, maybe another time. I would though. I mean, believe me, I, I, I don't mind looking awkward. I got over stage fright, which is cool. Um, yeah, it's yeah. nice. That that got me over a lot of anxiety was open mics and singing too, by the way. Oh. So I advise that to anybody who's afraid of public speaking or whatever, go to an open mic and you'll realize, I mean, because you make mistakes on stage and mm -hmm. you screw up the chords or the song or whatever, but you just keep going and everybody supports you. And that's one thing that taught me like, no, I, I should like, I need to make less of a deal of things you know exactly. but yeah singing really helped so definitely definitely so my friend how can we stay in touch with you what are your social media handles just a, a website for now i do have social media but i'm kind of laying low on that just for my own mental health at the time being but uh combat psych.com you can put a link there if you'd like but um it's just the word combat and then psych.com and you can preview my book um check out a bunch of podcasts I've been on, which by the way, thank you so much for now being another one that I can add to the website. Um, yeah. So uh, there's, and there's a contact me button as well. You can reach out. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest on our show. Um, thank you so much. No problem. No problem. And to all you resilient minds out there until next time, please subscribe to us on all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also, join the community of Resilient Minds and, and sign up for our monthly newsletter at cleonicrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life, on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. If you can think of one person that can receive value from today's show or connect with Dan's testimonial, 
please share with them. Feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at only Cleone or Resilient Minds 365 and today's guest at Combat Psychology, mm. right? And remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, thrive, and live a, a life of abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford, and I'm signing off. Oh, oh, oh,